Dune Part 2 releases its full trailer. Greta Gerwig is taking us back to Narnia. Actors may join the ongoing writers on strike. And some MCU casting news. All that and more awaits you on Multiverse News. Welcome to Multiverse News, your source for all the information about your favorite fictional universes and red-faced hosts. My name's Matthew Carroll, and with me today on the podcast, we have Miss Haley Hobbs from Source Pages. How are you, Haley? I am so great. Awesome, awesome. And from Commute the Podcast, Jay Sisson. How are you, Jay? Doing great. Just have a freedom hangover after the 4th of July and (laughs) ready to to talk news of the multiverse. Freedom hangover sounds like you're not free anymore. (laughs) Yeah, I didn't think through the logistics of it. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) All right. And uh, from Animation Deliberation, Jay Scotty St. Clair. What's going on, Jay? Scotty. I'm doing all right. Uh, The background is all new, all different, but you got the same old Jay Scotty here. Dude, we've been so worried about the like everything. I didn't. Is this this the new place? Is this where you're going to be streaming from now on, or is this just Uh, a. For today. No, just visiting the folks in Washington State. So, oh, gotcha. Yeah. yeah, it's got a bear in the background. Not a real bear for those listening, but a, <laughs> a stenciled bear. Be safe, okay. <laughs> yeah, be be safe, Jay Scotty. No fetal positions today. <laughs> Jay Scotty will be giving his commentary from the fetal position, and um, I mean, our our Twitch viewers would go through the roof, though. Like that'd be must see TV. <laughs> It's like, and then I edit out all the bear attacks, like to to make sure it just sounds normal. But you have to watch the video to realize Jay Scotty's being attacked by a bear. All right, um, <laughs> it is carnage everywhere, everybody. <laughs> Jay Scotty started to sound weaker toward the end, but like it was really good edit. <laughs> it's just blood loss. It's all right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay, let's get to our first story. Uh, Denis Villeneuve's highly anticipated Dune Part 2 released a full three-minute trailer last week uh, where we saw more shots of the now well-known Arrakis, as well as extended shots of Florence Pugh as Princess... All right, I meant to... We were in such a rush, I forgot to ask how to say these names. Uh, Someone help me out. Princess Irulan. All right, thank you, Jay Scotty. And Austin Butler as... Fade Rautha. Thank you. And Christopher Walken as... Emperor Shaddam. <laughs> Shaddam. See, this isn't my story. This is I, this is why I'm just the, the anchor tonight, and I don't even know how they <laughs> say these names. Okay. After seeing more of this long-awaited follow-up, do our visions of the future point toward a conqueror at the box office or a sandworm-sized flop? Breaking news, if you didn't know, I am into Dune, and I am very much looking forward <laughs> to this sequel. And this trailer did nothing to change that. Um, If anything, it increased my excitement and my anticipation. Uh, We got some great lines of dialogue. It was really nice to hear Paul mention how the Fremen had been battling against the Harkonnen uh, for decades. And he mentioned his family, the Atreides, had been doing it for centuries. So some really powerful lines there. Um, It was nice to spend uh, more time with some of these characters. We got our first look at Christopher Walken as the Emperor. Um, You know, at first glance, hearing that casting, I was a little on the fence, but I really like what they're doing there. And of course, I've been on the record about my crush uh, on Florence Pugh. So getting to see more of her character and the just otherworldly garb she's going to be donning 
was really cool. Um, it does look like it's going to be a lot more action-packed. I w actually watched it with my little brother that has no association with Dune whatsoever, and he was like, oh, this looks like Halo meets Lord of the Rings. I'm like, well, if that's the vibe you're getting for it, they're doing their job. So um, really, really enjoyed this trailer. I guess the only other takeaway I had is it looks like, just being so familiar with the novel, it looks like they're doing some things with Paul and Zendaya's character... Uh, Chani, it looks like they're going to play with that relationship a little bit more, but I think it's going to feed into the drama and the overall um, character arcs that we're going to get. So, yeah, definitely looking forward to this one, and all signs are pointing towards a another boss, box office success. Yeah, this movie was a success at the box office, but it also came during that weird year where Warner Brothers released a year of films on HBO at the same time as theaters, and you could kind of choose how you wanted to watch it. It was kind of like coming off the heels of COVID and everything, and Dune was a part of that and um, you know, upset a lot of people in Hollywood whenever that happened, but it still did well at the box office, and I think what is really playing in this film's favor is a lot of people caught it after the theatrical release too. So a lot of people caught it in theaters, but I think a lot of people went out and watched it on HBO max uh, and are going to watch it on max and uh, we'll go see it in the fall. I think this movie is going to be probably the biggest movie of the year. It's going to be huge. Well, I don't know if it'll beat Mario. Okay. But it's going to be huge. <laughs> <laughs> or spider verse. Right. Yeah. We're going to get to see more um, than Arrakis in this movie. And, I can tell that Denis Villeneuve is really playing with um, themes and camera work and uh, lighting, and some of it's in black and white, so it looks really cool, and it's going to be a more arty kind of take, even than the first one. Yeah, I think this trailer looks great. Um, I am not the biggest Dune fan, uh, as was noted by my not being able to pronounce anyone's name, uh, but uh, and by the biggest, I've never even seen the original uh, 80s film or... Uh, or read the books, so I'm 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 a Dune baby, but uh the the first film was really good, and uh, sorry that made me think of Muppet Babies, like Dune Babies. Never mind, uh, like a, just a whole different series where there's like a emperor that you only see his socks. Um, okay, <laughs> sorry guys, sorry. That rabbit hole's going deeper and deeper, deeper and deeper. Sorry guys, sorry. Um, okay. All right, let's move on to this next story. We have Barbie and Little Women director Greta Gerwig has signed on to direct at least two Chronicles of Narnia movies for Netflix. The streaming giant signed an agreement with the C.S. Lewis Company in 2018 to develop the beloved series into movies and shows. Do Netflix and Greta Gerwig have enough Turkish delight up their sleeves to bring Narnia to life? Narnia holds a really special place in my heart, and I think that Greta Gerwig has shown with Little Women that she can take something very beloved and make something wonderful with it. And I think that we're going to see that with Barbie as well, just from what we're seeing of the trailers and the clips, even though I know I was skeptical of it. But uh, Narnia is something you, you have to do correctly. And I remember when the old ones came out, old 2005, <laughs> uh, you know, they were good. They were fine, especially... Oh, Lion, Witch, and Wardrobe was, was good. I don't remember Prince Caspian so much, even. And I know that they were going to make another one, but it the rights lapsed, and that's why Netflix has the rights now. So I'm very excited about this, because I would love to see some new life breathed into the series with 2023 budget and 2023 effects, which have to be really good, because this is a fantasy series at the end of the day. And so I am really jazzed about this. I'm very Interested to see which ones they develop into movies and which ones they choose as shows. 
I think this is a good get. Um, the fact that it's coming out on Netflix, I hope they give it the proper budget because, uh, like you, Haley, I really did. You know, I enjoyed those uh, ones that came out in the 2000s. I, did, I think it started to lose some steam when they came out with the Voyage of the Dawn Treader. But, you know, all that being said, um, I, I really hope that they show us some stories that we haven't seen. I, I don't really need to see The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe again. I could hold off from seeing Prince Caspian again for a while. And, um, you know, I, I really enjoyed the book series as a kid. I kind of read those before I graduated to Lord of the Rings. And um, some of the ones that stood out to me, I think The Magician's Nephew is, like, chronologically first. So I think that would be a logical starting point. But I also have, like, a lot of fondness for The Horse and His Boy just because that's one that's, like, purely set in the world of Narnia. There are no, like, outside travelers that come into the world of Narnia. It's firmly set in the world of Narnia and does some, like, more world building and it's just a, a really cool story. But then also The Silver Chair. Like, The Silver Chair was always one of my favorites. Like, it really just has some great characters, like Puddle Glum coming off the top of my head. Like, if they did some great casting there, it would just be great to see that character come to life. So, um, yeah, again, I do think Greta Gerwig is a really good get. All of the previous works that she's done that you mentioned, plus Lady Bird kind of comes to mind. It was kind of a coming-of-age story. Yeah, the character was a little bit older, but I think those are all themes that Narnia tackles, and her sensibilities work perfectly for this kind of material. Yeah, you mentioned two of my favorites, too, Silver Chair and The Magician's Nephew. They're kind of dark, and I would love to mm. see us get a little dark with this material. Oh, definitely. Yeah, Greta Gerwig is the perfect choice from a Hollywood standpoint. Um, she's, I think after Barbie, she's going to be in high demand because it seems to be just like a really interesting visual take and it's creative and even the trailer, it shows off so much of the creative potential that she has. So I think when you're looking at this film and potential for films, I mean, they've announced two. Um, to me, that seems like a starting point. I think if these films are a success, I mean, I don't know how they're going to divvy that up. I don't think they're going to try to cram all of the Chronicles of Narnia into two films. I think this is a, this is a test run. They're starting it out and seeing if they can build some type of a franchise for Netflix, which is pretty desperately needed. But they mm. bought these rights years ago, and I've, I've always wondered, because I remembered them buying the rights, and I've always wondered, like, when are, when are they going to do Chronicles of Narnia? And every once in a while, I'd check like, does Netflix still own the rights to Chronicles of Narnia? Uh, just to just to check in, and um, it's taken them five or six years, but we're finally here. And uh, I think if you're a fan of the series, you have to be excited about this. It, it's a it's a dire- this is a director with a lot of creative potential, with a lot of vision, and um, now hopefully has the budget to make it happen. Mm, absolutely. Uh, well, T.J. Stafford asks in the uh, you guys seem like you have some knowledge about the Narnia verse. Uh, so the age old question. Chronological, chronological, chronicle, sorry, <laughs> chronological order or publication order? I think if you want to get a new audience, you go chronological because the first book, The Magician Stuff, you, I, th- I think he wrote last. Is that correct? Uh, I can't say that one for certain. It could very well could be. Um, That's in my head, on. so I could hold be wrong, on. but. Oh, there they we were go. written way out of order. Here so I think you want to follow. Oh uh, well, this this is the this is all of them together, but they put the magician's nephew first, so that doesn't tell yeah. me anything. Right, well, it's chronologically chronological. it comes yeah. first. Yeah, so this is chronological. The, the copy I have here is chronological. They don't have yeah. it in the the order of writing. So, but I think he wrote that one last, but it's the yeah. first one in the timeline. Yeah. yeah. Regardless, I, I agree with chronological order. Um, that would put the magician's nephew first, and then the last stand would be the last one, which I think is. Uh, the last battle. Oh, the last battle. Thank you. I, was, I guess I was mixing <laughs> that up with the with X Men, which I never want to do again because, yeah. 
I really like hearing you guys talk about the darker side of these things because I think that they I've always I, I've not read these books in full I've ever pieces of them and seen pieces of the movies um, but I always thought it seemed like C.S. Lewis has some pretty serious uh, writings and I've always heard there's some darker stuff in Narnia but like and I know he wrote them sort of for his children too whereas he as they aged and stuff so like there's just some different tones in there and I just think it'd be really neat to tackle some of that instead of the kids movies we got you know, 10 years ago or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like there's a scene in the magician's nephew where, um, she becomes the white witch, but she's not that in that book. And she's in this garden eating this golden apple. And it's very like thematically dark. And in my head, it's always been a very dark scene with like darkness around her and this very evil look on her face. Like it could be kind of grown up if they want it to be. Mm. A really blank canvas there. I mean, you could really turn it into a PG movie and you could, darken it up however much you want i think i think there's just there's a very wide range of what you can do with it mm, that's really cool yeah up next over 1,000 high profile actors signed a letter committing to strike if negotiations fall through between the screen actors guild and studios and streamers this looming strike threatens to deepen the rift in hollywood between studios and talent and would grind the entire industry to a halt more so than the writer's strike already has. Hope everyone has their favorite shows ready to rewatch. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's already bad because of the writer's strike. It's already pretty much halted production on most things that were already in production that you want to see. But when the actors, if the actors go on strike, and right now, uh, when you're listening to this, there may or may not have been an agreement reached. They were supposed to reach an agreement by last weekend, but they ended up pushing it back to this weekend. So who knows if they'll push it back again, or if they'll get back to the table and figure something out. But if the Screen Actors Guild does go on strike, then that doesn't just mean the obvious, which is that they can't go perform, they can't go record anything new or do any dialogue or anything like that. Of course, all that's true, unless they're recording or filming overseas, which they could do. But it also means, and I think this is even more significant, is that they can't do any press for any of these movies that are coming out. So they can't do interviews. They can't give a single quote. They can't go do a panel. Uh, they can't sit down and uh, do anything to promote a movie. Can't do a commercial uh, or anything. Can't even post on their social media about going to see a movie. Mm-hmm. So all of that stops. And for a Hollywood production company, that's a pretty scary situation. Like you don't want to have your movie ready and locked and loaded and then not be able to do any press with your leads for it. So like Mm -hmm. for me, when I'm thinking about it, I have been wondering like why the press for Barbie has started so early, because if you haven't seen anything about Barbie, they've been doing an incredible marketing campaign. It's like full court press marketing. It's like, you know, they did the Airbnb in, in, uh, in California that you can rent. That's like the Barbie. (laughs) house they did like they're leaning into the oppenheimer thing like they're going all out they're marketing but the movie doesn't come out for three more weeks and i I was wondering like why are we getting all this marketing so early and now it just has fallen into place and makes total sense they're doing Mm -hmm. all the marketing now because if they end up going on strike then all of a sudden margot robbie and ryan gosling and all these people can't go out and do any press and that would be the nightmare uh scenario so you think about a movie like like i'm thinking about the mars right it's a huge it's it's got a big uh it's big shoes to fill it's going to be the only marvel movie since may the the last one for the rest of the year that movie's coming up in november 
man, if you're getting closer and closer and the screen actors go on, uh, the screen actors guild goes on strike. And then all of a sudden now you can't put Brie Larson out there. You can't put Iman Villani out there. You can't put Tiana Paris out there. That's huge. Right. Mm-hmm. So you might even see movies get delayed over that kind of stuff uh, just yeah. because they, they have to do these press tours to be able to drum up support for the movie. So it's uh yeah, these are, these are uh, dark times in Hollywood. Jay, that's a really great thought. I hadn't mm. thought of that angle at all. And that's really, really clever um, and so smart. And yeah, if Amon Vellani can't get out to promote the Marvels, it is going to be terrible because the whole world needs to meet Amon Vellani. <laughs> and like the people who watch the show may know her by now, but like, yeah, the, 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 this movie was going to be a chance for that, that, uh, that little spark of joy to get it to a wider audience. And I, and I think the world needs it. The world needs it right now. <laughs> the dark sider in me is kind of curious to see what would happen. Like, I don't want it to happen, but I like to see the consequences of these things kind of play out. It would be very interesting because it hasn't been this way in Hollywood for a very, very, very long time. But the light sider in me hopes that this is enough pressure to get some deals closed and, get our get our people back to work yeah for me i find myself just having a lot of questions i know with like the writer's strike we know like the issue had to do with you know we, we talk so much about like streaming um the recurring revenue that comes from like a successful streaming property in addition to the ai so it kind of like from what i gather it sounds like it's it's you know the streaming issues again are kind of the primary issue here but i guess i kind of hope like it takes a village to make a movie. So like this happening kind of coinciding with the writer strike, I really just hope they take a moment to like examine and really take full advantage of like what all they want to get and make the most of these negotiations. Because like, I, I don't, I don't know if it's an issue or not, but I couldn't help but kind of think about like, especially coming off the heels of the flash, like with this ability to like bring actors back from the dead, are they going to like negotiate what it means to have someone's likeness like used in perpetuity and whatnot and what, like how that's going to impact the future? Because I just hate to see an industry where we have to stop like every few years or so to like do this all over again, because it it does result in these delays. And I want to see, you know, the people that work so hard be compensated in the right way and be protected. But uh, I I just don't want it to be all the time. And, And I know the, landscape and the atmosphere is constantly shifting and changing but i also wonder like are we going to see a possible outcome where actors don't necessarily want to be associated with the guild as much they just want to like get their fame and become famous i don't even know what that looks like if they're going to be like blacklisted by the rest of the you know industry or what i just think there's like a lot of ramifications here that are at this point unseen yeah absolutely uh one of the things that i just keep coming back to i'm just kind of a I don't know that any of this stuff is falls on moral lines. Like I think a lot of it is just people playing for power to get the best thing they can. I do support uh, generally the workers more than I support the studios, but like I, what the thing that I keep wondering is like, we've had these big booms in Hollywood. And when the actors are like fighting for their, like, Listen, this is in this huge boom and like you guys are making all that extra money and the actors are pay isn't moving. Like we see that a lot in industries, but you also have the kind of inverse where like when a retraction in the economy happens or retraction in a certain industry happens, you also have people fighting over less. You know what I mean? Like, and right now we are clearly seeing that with a lot of these movies that aren't even breaking even like normally movies break even on their first weekend. Like, 
full stop. Like that's most movies break even on their first weekend, it seems, or like the first few weekends. Um, mm-hmm. And it's like right now we're seeing a ton of movies that are just falling flat. And it's just that post COVID, every nobody's going to the theater. I wonder if part of this struggle is like everybody wants to keep making more money. That's the whole goal everybody has in all these like inter- industries. That's the goal of all of their agents all want to keep making more and more money as, and that's the goal of all the studios to every year increase what they're making. And like what happens when that pie is just getting smaller and getting smaller and getting smaller. And it's like, you've that money has to come off somebody's end. And now like, you know, I'm sure the studios want to maintain every bit of profit they can, and this, the actors don't want to take less, and the workers don't want to take less, which, like, I understand it from all perspectives, but it's like, how does that shake out? And I think, I think honestly, I think this, so much of what we talk about on the show, the strikes and the merge purge, like, t- situations, all, like, kind of are that confluence of, like, I think it's like a kind of this, like, the struggle of the economy of lack, you know, like think there's a lot missing from that. There's a lot of things that aren't as being as successful as they might've originally intended. And like, we're dealing with those ramifications, I guess. Um, okay. Uh, up next we have, it always feels awkward when I, I'm the last one to talk. I always try to jump in the middle <laughs> because I feel like when I talk last and then I have to jump right into the next story, it feels like there's just silence. I don't know. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> Or it feels like I took the final word. I don't know. It just feels weird. Uh, okay. Up next. Though many Marvel productions have been halted or pushed back, that hasn't stopped the future of the cinematic universe continuing to take form. Speaking as a guest on the JW3 Speaker Series, star Benedict Cumberbatch confirmed that he will return as Doctor Strange to film scenes for an upcoming Marvel film that is set to start filming next year. Additionally, industry scoopers are reporting rumors that Margot Robbie has uh, turned down the role of Sue Storm in the upcoming Fantastic Four film, and the role has now been offered to Vanessa Kirby. Are these breadcrumbs about the MCU's future substantial enough to satiate our appetites for more Marvel? You know, we called these breadcrumbs in the in the intro there, but I'm thinking in hindsight we should have called them Marvel morsels. And I'll take all the Marvel <laughs> morsels I can get, you know. As a fan of this content, it's nice that the Marvel machine, even with all the halted productions, it, it keeps on going and we have stuff to discuss and stuff to look forward to. And I'm a massive Doctor Strange fan, so there's not a lot to go off of here. It was a quote saying, I, I think he said something to the extent like capers, Marvel capers will be happening next year. So I think the big question is, what property is he going to pop up in? I saw a lot of people like postulating that it might be Deadpool three. It sounds like that one's going to be visiting a lot of past properties and kind of being maybe the version of Deadpool kills the Marvel universe. Maybe it'll be Deadpool kills the Marvel cinematic universe. Uh, but I think Agatha coven of chaos is another likely candidate. Mm. A lot of people mm. wanted Dr. Strange to pop up in WandaVision and that never happened. So I, I think he would fit right in with the, you know, magical world, of uh of the coven of chaos and i i would love you know to have Catherine hong get to have some interplay with uh benedict cumberbatch there but um also to speak to the casting rumors there i think um as much as i thought you know margot robbie would have been a great get and she would have done a great job in the role 
Vanessa Kirby does excite me a little bit more. She's a little bit more of a newcomer. You know, she's been established and had some big roles, but this could really be her chance to like break through to the mainstream. So mm. with that being said, she was on my short list, like my wish list. I think it was um, her, Haley, you already talked off air about Alicia Vikander. I think she would be a great addition to the MCU, but then also Mackenzie Davis. I think like any one of the three of them could be like great, like uh, femme fatales or like heroines that, you know, would lend a lot of talent and beauty to the Marvel cinematic universe. I already got Florence Pugh. So if they can keep like, you know, plucking <laughs> these talents from these lesser known films and put them in the Marvel cinematic universe, I'd be really happy. Mm-hmm. Florence is our new Pedro. <laughs> <laughs> hey, don't throw that bit out there like that. Cause I'll start throwing all kinds of Florence Pugh news. At you, I'll run with it. <laughs> run with it, Jay. <laughs> uh, yeah, if uh, the screen actors guild goes on strike, Benedict Cumberbatch ain't going to be filming anything. So, True. True. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, but, uh, I actually like I like the idea of Vanessa Kirby as Sue Storm more than Margot Robbie, and that's not a shot at Margot Robbie. I mean, she's she's immensely talented, but um, I think at this point it's just um, I I want to see a different person in that role. You know, I think uh, seeing somebody get we we've talked about it before, like seeing Marvel take people who are. Vanessa Kirby's not an unknown, but like a relative unknown, not a super household name. If you said Margot Robbie, you know, people are going to know who you're talking about. If you say Vanessa Kirby, not so much, right? So I think like pulling those people in and then kind of building franchises around them, Marvel's kind of done great with that in the past. So I kind of like the idea yeah. of, of being able to do that with this franchise, which is going to carry a lot going forward. Something you said, Jay Scotty, made me think. Uh, so this is... This has not passed the multiverse news vetting process for news. So this is not news. This was a meme I saw today. (laughs) Someone posted that uh, some creator from Agatha House of Harkness said that that Agatha Harkness is very much WandaVision season two. Okay. Which I thought was an interesting quote from some creator. I I didn't even see who it was. I just saw it floating around. But when you said that uh, about uh, Benedict Cumberbatch being in Agatha Coven of Chaos, um, I thought about uh, the idea that like he was supposed to be in WandaVision and supposed to be a part of that series, but right. never was able to because of COVID. So I'm wondering if that is a continuation, if there's a part of his story connected to the Darkhold, connected to all of that. I know we saw that in Multiverse of Madness to some degree, but like if that, if he might appear in that, makes a lot of sense, I guess, is all I was getting at. Sure. He's probably already prepped to appear in season one, as it were, if that really is a true quote from a creator. But Maybe we'll talk about that next week when we've had time to vet that story, really. <laughs> Sounds good. I saw that headline, too, and I thought it was didn't make any sense. So the spinoff is a season two. No, it's just a spinoff. It just <laughs> lives close to that world, right? It lives close to that right. universe. Yeah, so yeah. I also saw that, and it kind of made me roll my eyes. I'm very excited <laughs> for Kevin of Chaos. Very, very excited for that. But otherwise, mm-hmm. I don't have much to add other than you guys kind of covered it all. I'm looking forward to a potential Vanessa Kirby Sue Storm and... We can't get enough of Benedict. Can't get enough. Can't get enough. All right. Well, let's move on to our uh, Spotify poll for this week. What you got for us, Jay? All right. Well, we were talking about San Diego Comic-Con last week and how it's going through some struggles. And uh, we asked, does the lack of big players at San Diego Comic-Con make you less likely to go? And uh, we got 74% of the vote said yes. So it does not Mm. spell good for San Diego Comic-Con with 26% of the vote saying no. Oof. This honestly shocks me because I don't go to cons a lot, but I do not go at all for the big people. 
Like, I mean, it's cool if you get, if I get, if I stumble through a hallway and bump into a big person, that's great. But I go to hang out. Like, I go to, like, just see the nerdy people in costumes and, like, drink too much. Uh, <laughs> you know, like, I don't, I just don't really, like, uh, I don't go for the big panels. Um, but I, I get why some people do, but it's just not my bag. And I didn't expect it to be this one sided as, uh, 74%. Yeah. There's that concept out there known as the 80 20 rule. And this seems like it's like, fitting right into that the people that were you know there for comic-con for the con itself represent the the 20 percent there so mm. it's, it's surprising that it's that low but i guess it, it stands to to reason okay up next moving on from the spotify poll we have our lightning round you guys know how this works uh if you're new to the show though Everybody, we're going to say some of these stories that are a little shorter, more like headlines, and you guys uh, get to buzz in using your name uh, to claim a story and say your piece about it. And throughout the entire lightning round, you only get one rebuttal. If you miss the buzz in, you can do one rebuttal. Otherwise, you must be silent. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> You're real hardcore on 1% this. 1% of the time. <laughs> <laughs> One percent of the time, we keep people silent all the time. It's like that meme of that guy that's like, "You sure about that?" Like yeah. every time you explain the lightning round rules, that's just what plays in my head. <laughs> all right, all right. Well, uh, up first in the lightning round, the latest and perhaps last Indiana Jones movie, Dial of Destiny, didn't quite hit its benchmarks at the box office, bringing in sixty million dollars domestically and one hundred thirty million dollars globally in its first weekend. Jay, Matt. you can go for it, Jay. <laughs> um, this is not good. Uh, I know you guys saw it. You liked it. Uh, but $60 million domestic in its opening weekend. It got a B-plus cinema score, which is not good. That means it doesn't really have legs. The budget is crazy. They said it was a $300 million budget. Like, that mm -hmm. is bananas. And I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that they started production during COVID. Harrison Ford, he's pretty pricey uh, to get into these movies. And, um, man, that is a that is not good because what that means is that it needs to and that was before advertising too by the way like that that was no ads or anything so when you add the advertising to it you're talking about man that movie's got to make like 800 million ish to be able to make money and be profitable like it's maybe probably going to get to like 500 million global and that's where it's going to sit. Uh, it's only got one more weekend unchallenged. Then it's got to go up against mission impossible and then it's Barbenheimer mm. time. So by the time you get to that weekend, <laughs> it's done. Uh, and so I, I haven't seen it yet. I know people that have seen it have liked it and it makes me sad and I'm not bashing the movie, but I am wondering if this is going to shake up Lucasfilm at all, to be honest with you, because Star Wars has not been handled the best. Um, it rode, you know, some Star Wars nostalgia at the beginning, but by the end of that sequel trilogy, people were not happy uh, with Star Wars. And uh, then you get Indiana Jones. That franchise has not been built well uh, for Lucasfilm. Um, I did go and look. The current uh, head of Lucasfilm, Kathleen Kennedy, I went and looked at what her contract details are. Her contract expires next year. Uh, I would not be surprised if they appoint someone new as the head of Lucasfilm after that, because this is a mess. Like this is a, this is a mm. this is going to be a flop. I mean, it's going to lose money uh, ultimately, which is which is doesn't bode well. There's been too many of these for Lucasfilm when after Disney purchased it for multi billions of dollars years ago. Yeah, I'm going to use I'm my a rebuttal on this one. Go for uh, it. I thought that movie was really fun i thought it was great i don't understand why the box office is so poor um 
your talk about Kathleen Kennedy is not unwarranted. I always have found it very strange because she was handpicked by George Lucas to run Lucasfilm. Mm -hmm. And so I always am like, well, is it Kathleen or is it Disney or is it both? And I'm going to say it's probably both. Um, But I mean, she was selected by George to run his company and to see things come out that in my opinion, aren't bad, um, but get these poor receptions. I just, it's strange. It doesn't make sense to me, I guess, is Mm. my useless take. (laughs) She made total sense when she was appointed. I mean, it's not just Lucas. Like, she has a really close relationship with Spielberg, too. Um, It's just, Mm. so I don't know what it is. Um, I know... Star Wars, a lot of Star Wars fan base like hates Kathleen Kennedy, and I think a lot of that <laughs> anger is misplaced. I mean, you're not going to yeah. find scorching takes here about you know the leadership of Lucasfilm, but I just think just from like a numbers and dollars and cents standpoint, like this this era of Star Wars has not done what it should have done, and this era of Indiana Jones has not. I mean, Dave Filoni has kept Star Wars on life support. Uh, w- mm-hmm. Without the Filoni of uh, of it all in the middle of it, it's even worse. Than, uh, than it's been. So I'd argue uh, it's not on life support. I'd argue he's refreshed Star Wars. Yeah, that's a better way of um, saying it. Yeah. Saying it's on life support <laughs> seems to downgrade the amazing things they've done since The Mandalorian came out. Yeah. But yeah, I know that when Kathleen Kennedy was announced like she'd be leaving soon, there was there was some cheering. I, I'm with you. I think a lot of it's unwarranted. There's a lot of hate put yeah. her way that there shouldn't be. And Anyway, mm. this is a long lightning round subject. But <laughs> I won't talk anymore. I won't fun. talk anymore for the rest, for the rest of the lightning round. I'll just be quiet. <laughs> I'm going to use my rebuttal as well, cementing the fact that we should have just made this main story. I'm sorry, it was my call. <laughs> I was I was the one pushing for. It. I was like, we have too many main stories. Uh, but it's but yeah. I, my only thought is, I totally understand the the Star Wars of it all, but also I just think about like what makes a movie popular now, and I think the fact we've just really seen like. Marvel had this great run of still like franchise driving everything. And like, I just feel like we're done with that. Like, I feel like the era of franchises driving everything is kind of ending and not that it just, it just feels like things with originality, things like Barbie of all things are like catching everyone's attention when this like, epic uh, you know fifth movie in the cycle or whatever like is 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 just falling apart bringing back Harrison Ford like it's a and it's a really good well done thing and it also lives in the shadow of Crystal Skull there's all these there's all these re- reasons that it didn't do well but the thing that fascinates me is like what makes a movie popular now and like I don't know I don't know if they, they know and I think it has something to do with originality and like something sparking us we have to just have the fresh reason to go we're not we're no longer going to the theater just out of like rote you got to convince us into the theater with something original and i don't think they're doing that with a lot of the franchises right now limestone leaf in the chat has a good point maybe this is another good message to lucasfilm that nostalgia isn't enough limestone leaf you already used your rebuttal and the (laughs) the marketing the marketing wasn't good either like it, it it leaned a lot into like the if you like indiana jones you'll like this was kind of the way that it was presented to me through commercials you know i didn't really get the sense of like we want newcomers to this franchise Mm -hmm. like if you've never Mm -hmm. seen indiana jones come see this movie it was very much sold as like hey if you if you watch these in the 80s you'll think this is awesome um, Absolutely. And, uh, they, they should have leaned a lot more into those new characters and they should have put Phoebe Waller-Bridge out there more. You know, they should have really tried to draw in more people. 
Absolutely. I think this movie would have done better if it had come out closer to when it was originally supposed to, because Phoebe Waller-Bridge was kind of on fire right around that COVID mm-hmm. time, yeah. and now it's been three or four years, and she's just not... Her star isn't rising anymore. Like, she's still great. I She's my favorite thing about the movie, as much as Harrison Ford's amazing. I love her in that movie, uh, but... I feel like her moment was four years ago and kind of missed it with this one. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, let's move on because we lightning round. Uh, <laughs> July movies are projected to heat up the box office and Barbie movie pre-sales already are already outperforming The Little Mermaid and Oppenheimer is projecting a conservative $50 million opening. Scotty, coming off the tails of what we just talked about with Indiana Jones, I think a big part of it is the marketing. Like, I just don't think... The marketing was there for Indiana Jones and it has been there for Barbie. So I think that's why these pre-sales are like off the charts. Like we talked about how they were so bold in their marketing saying, whether you hate Barbie, whether you love Barbie, this movie is for you. And I go back to that first trailer where they had the homage to 2001 A Space Odyssey, like throwing up the Barbie doll into the air. And like, that's just going to get everybody. (laughs) That's going to get, you know, film fans like myself that like, you know, love the filmography of like Stanley Kubrick or whatever. And, and, uh, I just think it's been really smart marketing and even like seeing Greta Gerwig and Margot Robbie, like play into the competition with Oppenheimer. Like, I think that's why Barbie is going to be very clearly the winner of this. Like again, the best double feature of all time. (laughs) I'm going to see both, Mm -hmm. but I am itching to see Barbie just a little bit more this time. And I think the marketing is exactly why. With this weird double feature idea, they're getting like the Szechuan sauce crowd. Does anybody know what I'm talking yes. about? Yes. It's, it's my one-armed man, Marty. Right. The people who want to go get McDonald's Szechuan sauce four years ago or whatever are like going to hit the theaters as a double feature for the meme. Like they're going to sell tickets for the meme. And that is like if, if people should be selling this as a double feature, like theaters should. And it would be like, it would be really well, uh, well received. I think it's crazy. <laughs> I gotta, I gotta use my response to say that um, Christopher Nolan has got to be like so annoyed by this. Like, privately. Like, like he's like, did nobody check the dates that we were gonna be up against this stupid Barbie movie? You know, everybody's calling it Barbenheimer. This is about the atomic bomb. It's serious. You know, but he's just losing his mind. We need a flow chart of like frustration. Tom Cruise is frustrated with Nolan, or with Nolan for taking his IMAX screens, and Nolan is frustrated at Barbie for. Uh, for being Barbie. For being Barbie. <laughs> I just need to see pictures of opening night and Oppenheimer on the bill and people flooding in in like pink clothes. Like that's just so <laughs> funny to me. Okay, Evan Peters has closed a deal to star in the upcoming movie Tron Ares, the third installment of the franchise. Scotty. Yeah. Yeah. I'm conflicted on this one because I love the aesthetic and world of Tron. Tron Legacy was a little bit of a mixed bag, admittedly. I think it did some really cool things in terms of the world building. Um, some of the effects weren't quite there in the story. It was a little bit weak, but that Daft Punk soundtrack is something I still go back to time and time again. So with this one, the casting of Jared Leto, 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 I kind of go back and forth on that one. But uh, the I don't know, the fact that he's going to be the protagonist, I really hope they're kind of like subverting expectations because the casting of evan peters um a lot of the like you know uh rumors out there is that he's going to play the villain he may be replacing killian murphy as edward dillinger jr who had a very small um, appearance at the end of tron legacy but i don't know for my purposes I'm, i'm trying to you know level my wants and expectations versus what they're going to present with us but i think i would rather see evan peters as the hero and someone like jared leto 
more of the villain like he kind of did in Blade Runner 2049. He was a great villain in Blade Runner 2049. All right. During an interview with Inverse, Anthony Mackie revealed that he contacted Marvel Studios several times and even wrote letters in early 2010s about playing Black Panther in an early Marvel film. Haley. There's been a lot of uh, I wanted to be in Black Panther talk lately in the interwebs, <laughs> and, <laughs> and this is the first time we've really talked about it. If you were Anthony Mackie and you knew they were doing Black Panther, of course you would want to be in Black Panther, but hey, you're Captain America now, man. Right? That's yeah. so cool. Yeah, he, he won the power struggle ultimately, you know. But uh, I think this makes it, I don't know how you do it, but like, I, I want the what if episode. I don't know how you get uh, Sam to Wakanda somehow and make him the king, but like, I want the what if episode now. <laughs> like Anthony <laughs> Mackie getting to be Black Panther. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. I'm sorry I responded again. <laughs> so, <laughs> so <laughs> Lyson Up said, uh, poll for the week. Who's going to do the most rebuttals? <laughs> hey, whoever took me, you're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> An executive for Mattel Films spoke to the New Yorker about upcoming films, including an A24 type surrealistic Barney film with Daniel Kaluuya <laughs> saying, We're leaning into the millennial angst of the property rather than fine tuning this for kids. It's a really it's really a play for adults. Not that it's R-rated, but it'll focus on some of the trials and tribulations of being a 30-something, growing up with Barney, just the level of disenchantment within this generation. <laughs> Scotty. Matt. Okay, go for it, Scotty. I, I was just going to say, like, I love everything about this. Like, this is nostalgia <laughs> done right. Like, we had a Barney movie back in, like, the late 90s if anybody remembers that i i remember that i you know i had younger siblings so you know shame me if you want to but yes i watched the the first barney movie but yeah everything about this the fact that they're going for like an a24 vibe the fact that you got daniel kaluuya attached to it um just sounds you know wonderful to me and uh kind of like what barbie's doing right i feel like this could be kind of catch that that cultural awareness in terms of like revisiting the the cultural touchstone that Barney was. And uh, yeah, I guess if I have any hopes and expectations, I really hope we get the peanut butter and jelly song, you know, peanut, <laughs> peanut butter and jelly. And jelly. <laughs> <laughs> is Mattel movies, is that related to Barbie at all? Yes. Yeah. yeah that's yeah. where the quote came okay. from is they were, they were like, you I guys got any more Mattel then. movies? And then they unleashed this completely unhinged <laughs> Barney movie, like out into the universe. <laughs> Mattelverse. <laughs> the Mattel. Oh, please, please get the crossover. Yes. Okay. I love it. I'm in. I'm in. If they're doing the bar- like, no one's even seen this Barbie movie yet, and we're all still like, yeah, the Barbie movie's the best. Okay. I trust this. I trust this company implicitly. Uh, okay. Let's. Uh, that is all for the lighting round. Thank you guys so much for joining us on Multiverse News. Let's hear where we can find you guys online. Uh, we had tons of internet issues in the middle of this podcast, so we are running really behind. Uh, Jay Scotty. Uh, tell them where they can find you online. Yeah, please check out Animation Deliberation. It's the podcast that takes action, animation, and cartoons seriously, but not too seriously. Uh, we have a couple of anime series that are starting up for the summer season, so uh, definitely tune in if that's your kind of thing. And then um, also, if you like Mission Impossible, I've been appearing on the Bingers Assemble Mission Impossible coverage. So we've talked a little bit about that on this show, but it's been a, a lot of fun to revisit that series in preparation for Dead Reckoning Part 1. 
Yeah, those basically will three, four, five, and six will all drop this in the next week and a half. So uh, <laughs> join join us on the Bingers Assemble feed for sure. And uh, Jay Sisson, where can they find you online? Yeah, I'm a co-host of a weekly educational show called Commute the Podcast, uh, and you can learn something new on your way to work for about 20 minutes of your time. So come uh, come learn something new with us. Awesome, awesome. And Haley Hobbs. Find me on Source Pages, where we deep dive into the source material about all the geeky TV shows and movies we love. Awesome. Well, guys, uh, thank you so much for joining us here on uh, Multiverse News. Really having a great time doing this show and really loving seeing the audience grow. Thank you so much. There's so many, like, I don't know. There's like, there were like 60 people answered the poll this week. It just feels like it's like a, like an active thing. You guys are out there and uh, we, we love it. We love it. Uh, we need to, we need to get some way of getting you guys more, even more involved on the show. Um, I, I really, really have love, love having that interaction. So um, thanks so much for joining us. We'll be back soon. Peace. You stay classy multiverse.